Good morning. Happy Easter. And if you're watching online, we're glad you're joining us too. He's risen. risen Let's try it again. He's risen. risen Man, I don't know of a better piece of good news than that. Um, All the world religions, uh, their founders are bones in a grave. And uh, and Jesus Christ is alive. and um, that's our blessed hope and that's our truth that we celebrate today so we're glad you're here with us would you please bow your head in prayer father thank you that we can celebrate what is true what's a historical fact an empty tomb and a risen savior and the hope of eternal life all because of uh, what you and your heart of love have done for us and as we continue to worship you this morning i pray that you would open our hearts um, to consider uh, this good news uh, the the promise lord jesus that you said you would die and rise again and you did so thank you encourage our hearts challenge us father this morning i would ask this in jesus name amen there was a new young preacher who was uh, beginning his uh, work in a little church He was a bit nervous as he began his sermon, but things were going fine until about 10 minutes into it, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, it has to me, but he absolutely (laughs) lost his train of thought. I mean, that, it was just a, you know, an empty, vacuous chasm there. He could not remember the next thing. But he did remember something that a seminary professor had told him, and by the way, this is not necessarily autobiographical here, but uh, a professor had told him, if you have one of these mental blocks just repeat the last thing you said and if you repeat the last thing you said sometimes that'll jar the thinking and you'll go on so he was very grateful for that memory and so sure enough he said behold i come quickly that was the last thing he had had said in his message nothing i mean there was absolutely it didn't jar anything so he gave it a second try behold i come quickly Still, not, not a thing, nothing. It was just, nothing was registering. Now he's really getting nervous and he's getting embarrassed and he thought he'd give it one more try with all the, the vigor that he could come with and the, the grand gesturing. He said, behold, I come quickly. And he knocked over the pulpit, he tripped over the flowers and he landed in the lap of a dear old lady sitting in the front row. And now he's so embarrassed and she said, oh, don't, don't worry, it's my fault. It's my fault. You told me three times you were coming and I should have taken you at your word. Now, it's hard sometimes to take people at their word. I mean, people can make uh, such wild uh, promises, like a, like a friend who will say, hey, when I win the mega lottery, I promise I'm going I'm to give half to you. Yeah, all right. Or the, the spouse who says, look, on my day off, honey, I'm going to, um, I'm going to clean out the garage, I'm going to power wash the house, I'm going to, I'm going to rake out the flower beds. I promise. Yeah, sure. Uh, promises. They're made, but are they kept? It's like the trick question about the five frogs on a log. You know, there are five frogs on a log. Four of them decide to jump into the pond. How many are left on the log? Well, five. Just because four say they're going to do something doesn't mean they're going to take the leap. And just because someone says they're going to do something doesn't mean they're going to carry it through. doesn't even mean they're capable of carrying it through. Until we come to Jesus, 
Time and time again, Jesus had promised that he was going to die and he was going to rise again. Over and over and over again, he told his disciples that. Let me give you some examples, like Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. I mean, you couldn't miss this. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. The very next chapter is there. We're on the mountain of transfiguration. They're coming down from the mountain. And Mark records, as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Remember, guys, I'm going to rise again. Don't say anything about what you just experienced on this mountain of transfiguration until I, until I rise again, because I'm going to rise again, then you can tell them. Or later in that chapter, Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Like, come on. How often does he have to say this? Or the next chapter, chapter 10, verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who were followed were, were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. And he said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. I mean, he just, he just uh, puts this out, telescopes it very clearly. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Get the point here? Look at chapter 14. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Very specific. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Over and over and over, he promised. Time and time again, he told his disciples the specific details. And they didn't believe it. They didn't get it. But he did rise again. He had promised it, and he carried it out, even though his followers didn't believe him. If we continue in, in uh, Mark's gospel, the, uh, the account of the resurrection in chapter 16, the first three verses say this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Are you kidding me? They're going there to anoint a dead body. They should have brought their lawn chairs early in the morning, sat them up and wait for a resurrection to take place. I mean, had Jesus ever disappointed them? Had he ever said something and never carried it through? Had he made promises to them and that, he, that he didn't fulfill? So when he says, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again in three days, I'm going to rise again, I promise, they didn't say, yeah, sure, you've done that before to us. They go to the tomb 
and we're wondering who's going to roll the stone away. The religious leaders had requested the Romans to put a big stone there because they were afraid. They heard Jesus talk about rising again, and they were just afraid that somebody was going to sneak away his body and then say he had risen from the dead. And they put the Roman guard there, and the, and the, the women are coming and saying, how are we going to get this stone rolled away? Man, they should have been parked there about an hour before sunrise and waited for to see what's, how God's going to roll that stone away because Jesus said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. I promise. Amazing. Now Luke's account of uh, Jesus' resurrection is really almost uh, humorous. Luke says this, chapter 24, verse 1. Let me read it to you. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They're going to go anoint a dead body. And they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Clue number one, right? Or two, the stone was rolled away, and then there was no body. Verse 4 says, and while they were perplexed about this, why would you be perplexed about this? He said over and over, I promise you, I will rise again. But they were perplexed about this, and behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. And then they said, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Do, do you remember what he said? He had promised he's going to die. And he gave all the details of how he was going to die. And then he said, on the third day, I will rise again. Do you remember what he said? The Son of Man, he said, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day, rise again. And then verse 8 says, Oh, and they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It dawned on them. Why weren't, why weren't the entire band of followers of Jesus? I mean, he'd been with them for two and a half, three years. Why weren't all of them there parked out waiting for this incredible event to take place? They missed a goal to be there and see the most important thing of all of human history. Jesus the Messiah rise from the dead and they missed it because they just flat out didn't believe it was going to happen. They just didn't get it. He rose just like he said he would. And I'm so glad he did in spite of the fact that the, his followers didn't even believe him. He's alive. They eventually believed him. I mean, a month and a half later, day of Pentecost, um, they are, Peter, as an example, is preaching to the Jewish people, Acts chapter 2. Peter said this in his sermon, Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. You put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. What, 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 how would you not believe it? After Jesus rose again, he's standing before them bodily. He's got the nail prints in his hands and the nail prints in his feet. He said, stick your hand and the, the sword in my side. He was real. It was, he was alive. And man, did it, was there a, a switch in the minds of these disciples? The, the next 
sermon on Acts chapter 3, Peter told the Jews, you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact, he said, to which we are witnesses. Jesus said, go into the world and be my witnesses. Tell them the story, the reality and the truthfulness. I was once dead, I am alive. And boy, they begin to tell it. Next chapter, Acts chapter 4, after healing a, a lame man, Peter and John are there to heal this lame man, and people are wondering what happened, and Peter said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this living Savior, this man stands here before you in good health. He's alive. He said he was going to rise from the dead, and he did. And after it became a reality to the disciples, they couldn't couldn't wait to tell people that Jesus had fulfilled his promise. He promised he would come again, and he did. Jesus didn't make that one promise, though. He made a whole bunch of promises. He offers a whole slew of promises to his followers, to us today. And because he kept his promise about rising from the dead, Every promise he made is going to be fulfilled and come true, even for us. He said he was going to rise, and he did. And he offers us wonderful promises as well. For instance, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I'm not pulling your leg, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. I promise. He said, it's a promise. Truly, truly, if you hear my word, you believe me who sent me, you have, present tense, he has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but past tense has already passed out of death into life. This is a promise. It's a wonderful promise. Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. That's why he came. A, a, a great gulf, a chasm separated us from a holy God, and a holy God can't let sinful people into his presence. Everybody born of the world, the Bible says, is born in sin. We're separated from God for all of eternity. And the, the, the divine dilemma is God loves us. He created us for fellowship, for a relationship with himself. He wants a everlasting eternal relationship with us but we deserve eternal separation and so god in his infinite unfathomable love sent his son into the world and says take their sin upon yourself and jesus came into this world and he paid the penalty for our sin in total completely he died in our place as a substitute he died so that we can have life eternal. And he accomplished that work perfectly, and we know that because he said, I promise I'll rise again. And he did. If one of our sins, if, if, if there was one person in this room whose sins were not paid for, that tomb would still have a body of bones in it. But every sin was paid for, was laid on him at the cross as he died in our place. 
and he rose again. It was, a, it was a, the resurrection of victory. He'd accomplished his work. He promised he would, and he did. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you received this free gift of eternal life? It, it, and it's, it, it just says, he says, if you believe me, you have eternal life. You transfer your trust off of religion and your good works and all the, the good things that you think you've accomplished in your lifetime. It won't matter. You can never do enough to get to heaven. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus did that one good work. He died. He rose again. And if you put your trust in him, the simple belief, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever and I mean whoever. You can be the worst sinner in the world. You can be squeaky clean. You still need Jesus. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How do we know that's true? Because he said he was going to die and rise again, and he did. And every promise he makes, he'll fulfill it. Like, for instance, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you, I'll give you rest. Are you troubled today? You've got a lot going on in your life, a lot of burdens. Jesus said, hey, come on to me. Talk with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In a relationship with Jesus, we find rest. He said, I promise that. Or in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, It'll be open to you. He said, let's have a relationship. Talk with me. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? Romans chapter 8, 28, he's, the word of God says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He says, I promise. You know, if, you're, if your life is oriented around me, if you love me, if you're, you're living out the purposes of my life for you, it, even the bad things, I'll work all those things. They may not be good in and of themselves, but I'll work it all together for good. I promise. That's what is received in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or a few verses later, he said, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing will separate us. Our sin was paid for. Even a sin we're going to commit five years from now. It might be grievous. It may grieve God. But he said, I will never, ever stop loving you. I promise. My love is eternal. The promises of God. On and on and on they flow out of the New Testament. God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can count on it. Why? Because he promised it. He said that you have a blessed hope waiting for you one day. I promise you. And we will. Because he promised it. He said he's going to come again. And he's going to take us up to heaven, to glory, and forever live with him. And he will. Because he has promised it. He said he's going to come again and he's going to put an end to all the evil and all the sickness and all the death and all the mess of this world. He promised it. 
For instance, in John chapter 14, verse 3, he said, I'm coming again. I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And Jesus has always been good to his word. He promised, I'm coming again, and I'll take you and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Today, we celebrate a historical fact. The, the tomb is empty. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to disclaim that and trying to disprove it. and You can't. No one has ever been able to do that because you, you can't prove something that is unprovable. The, the tomb is empty. He's alive. He promised he would rise again, and he did. We celebrate today a historical fact, but one day, one day we're going to celebrate the new reality of Jesus coming again because he was true to his promise of rising again. You can count on it. He's true to his promise that he's going to return and he's going to set everything right in this world. And boy, does it need to be set right. We are living in um, very concerning days. An inflation rate that is something like we've never seen in 40 years. Economists are telling us um, a recession is really a, a high potential. It's coming. Things are going to be changing, folks. Um, the world has become a much more dangerous place in the last few weeks. We are on the precipice of a, of a potential world war, the likes of which we have not witnessed maybe in 80 years. These are dangerous times, troubling times. The moral fabric of our society is unraveling at neck break speed. It's, it's concerning. You realize that last year, 100,000 people died of drug overdoses in this country. Texas reported that last year there was over a 1,000% increase in the fentanyl coming over the border. 100,000 people. There was a study that came out recently by Stanford University and the Lancet Medical Journal that said at this pace in the next 10 years, over 1.2 million people will be dead because of drug overdoses. These are troubling times. The world offers us nothing but bad news. And God offers us nothing but good news. Because he's a God who keeps his promises. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said he was going to die and he was going to pay for our sins. And he said, and I promise I will rise again. And he did. And he said, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to put an end to all this mess in this world. And he will. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you. And I will give you a life that can be described as nothing short than abundant living. I can change you from the inside out. I can transform you. I can give you hope. I can give you a reason to live. I can give you a life full of meaning and purpose. I promise you. I offer that to you, said Jesus. And he does. He offers that free gift of eternal life to anyone who will receive it. Have you received that free gift of eternal life? Offered by a living Savior who right now sits at the right hand of the Father in glory 
And one day we'll step from that throne of glory. And according to the Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a trumpet is going to sound. And those of our loved ones who have passed on, who knew Jesus as their Savior, they're going to rise from the dead. And if we are alive at that time, the Bible says we're going to be caught up and snatched up together and meet them in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. And folks, he wasn't blowing smoke at us. He meant it. He promised it. And he has never, ever, ever broken a promise. He's coming again. Do you know him as your personal Savior? On this Easter morning, I don't know what else would be more important than for you to transfer your trust off of religion. Get it off religion. Good night. That's just taking us down to the depths of depravity. But a relationship with a living Savior, now that is something you can go to heaven with. Have you put your trust in him? And if you have, what promises of God are precious to you this morning? What promises of God are you hanging on to? Because when he made a promise, he'll keep it. Would you bow your head in prayer? Our Father, thank you so much for the reality of an empty tomb, of a risen Savior, and of the hope that we have. We know, Father, that um, we don't deserve this blessing, this hope, this gift of, of eternal life. Um, it's nothing we do to earn it or, or impress you with our, our squeaky clean life. The fact of the matter is we don't have a squeaky clean life. For your word says that we are all sinners and fall short of your standard. And that's what makes your gift of eternal life so amazing. That's why it seems like your favorite word is grace. You give us what we don't deserve. It was all because Jesus kept his promise. Lord, we're thankful that you said you were going to die and you did that you're going to pay for our sins, you did it. You said you're going to rise again on the third day, and you did. And every other promise you've made, we have the absolute assurance you'll keep it. May our life, Father, be uh, focused on you. May we embrace uh, that relationship with you, uh, the hope that you give us. May our love for you grow and grow as we walk in the light of your wonderful promises, you, the promise-living, the promise-keeping living Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.